I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. My name is Tim Noe, and my question is, are those speed cameras on the JFX actually reducing speeding and making the road safe? Tim, you are talking about the Jones Falls Expressway, a.k.a. I-83, a.k.a. Baltimore's Grand Prix. Uh, For listeners who are not familiar, this is one of the main highway arteries in and out of downtown Baltimore, and uh, it is not for the faint-hearted driver. Uh, Tim, you're a regular commuter on the JFX? I am. I take my daughter on it every weekday to the Baltimore School for the Arts. And for someone who's never had the pleasure of driving on this stretch of road, like how, how would you describe the experience? Imagine Speed Racer driving over a stream bed, because that's pretty much what it is. Real talk, I myself uh, am a total Sunday driver. I always prefer the slow lane. Uh, but yeah, I feel like on JFX, there is no slow lane. It can be very intimidating out there. But uh, as you say, the city uh, recently put in some speed cameras to try and uh, chill people out. What's your experience on the road been telling you about those cameras? Do you feel like they've been doing what they're supposed to do, just observationally? I went from death grip dad to uh, certainly driving in far less congested traffic due to wrecks and far less chaos, I think, since the cameras have gone in. All right, Tim, I'm going to see if I can get some uh, definitive answers for you. Thank you. Luckily, I've got my intrepid co-host, Hallie Miller, along with me this episode. Hallie, thanks for helping me get to the bottom of this question. Of course. It's a good question. And a popular question, too, yeah? Very popular. I've had lots of banner readers write to me with this same question for our Better Baltimore series. It's definitely on people's minds. So let's get into it. When and why did these cameras go up in the first place? Okay, so the city launched the speed camera initiative about six months ago, and it was partly in response to a national trend of rising traffic fatalities during the pandemic. But if you know, you know, unsafe driving has actually been a problem on the JFX since long before then. So these cameras, they're supposed to be a traffic calming measure, first and foremost. There is nothing sneaky about these cameras. Uh, It's no secret that they're there. Correct. They even have digital radar signs on the side of the road that warn you how fast you're going. And so the question is, is this working? Are people actually slowing down? Hallie, you got some info from the Baltimore City Department of Transportation. And uh, the answer is? The answer is drivers are getting the message. The program started with a 90-day warning phase. And during that time, the cameras issued about 200,000 warnings. Then, during the next 90 days, when the warnings became actual speeding citations, that number dropped to about 100,000. Okay, so only half as many people were speeding during that second 90-day period. That's what the data says. A 54% drop in warnings and citations issued since the start of the program. And how about crashes? Have the cameras made the JFX any safer? The answer to that is, we don't know yet. Official crash data for the corridor isn't coming out till this summer. That's when the Maryland Highway Safety Office is going to submit a report to City DOT. All right. So uh, I feel like we're at the start of an answer to this traffic camera question, but uh, I've got a lot of follow-up questions. I know you do, too. And so do our readers. And uh, our listeners as well. So let's ask. Joining us now on the line is Interim Director of the Baltimore City Department of Transportation, Corinne Johnson. Director Johnson, thanks for being with us. Yes. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Hallie. Nice to um, be here today. Thank you for having me. So how is this JFX speed camera initiative going overall, in your opinion, six months in? Well, in my opinion, it's, it's going excellent. It's going extremely well. Um, the goal of the speed camera program is to modify driving behavior 
and ultimately reduce severe and fatal crashes on the interstate. And we're seeing that people are slowing down, that in that first four months, the people are slowing down by approximately 54%. So I can ask for um, better results. And how are you measuring success? Is there a specific set of goals attached to the speed camera initiative? So we're looking at it from a standpoint of visual observations and the speeds they were collecting, the the issuance rates of the citations, and just overall um, incidents that we're seeing. And so we have a very high issuance rates of, for the citations at 97%. And like I said, the, the speeds are slowing down, even without crash data, you know, people tra- routinely travel through there and we can see if there are major incidents. And so, you know, overall, the entire corridor has slowed down, not only right where we have the two fixed cameras installed at 41st Street, but throughout that corridor, as you get closer into the city, people are slowing down. We've got the speed sentries out there that are alerting you of your speeds. And so overall, people are paying attention and reducing their speeds. Director Johnson, Hallie and I both, as you know, take questions from our audiences. And I got to say, I-83 is a very hot topic. We've got a stack of questions here from readers and listeners. Uh, Let's go through some of these. I have a reader here who writes in and wants to know, are people paying their tickets? Uh, Are there frequent flyers out there, people with multiple tickets uh, who are ignoring the cameras and and not paying the fines? Mm Mm-hmm. So based off of the issued and the paid data provided from our finance team, the collection rate is estimated to be about 51.1% within that first four months. But keep in mind that people don't always pay the moment that they receive a citation. And so often payments come in weeks or months after the citation has been issued. And so that collection rate can essentially fluctuate. Um, But we are seeing that there is a significant number of frequent flyers or repeat offenders Motorists traveling on expired tags also stood out, but there are ways that we try to encourage people to pay their fines. And so if fines go unpaid, they face possible um, issues like booting of their vehicles or a flag might be added to their vehicle by the MVA. And then that might affect their registrations through MVA. And so um, we, we encourage everyone to pay the citation. It's only a $40 citation. So pay it and then move on. But the intent of this program, again, is not to collect money or anything like that, but we want people to slow down. So I'd rather have less citations (laughs) and people going slower on the roadway. So you say these tickets are $40 each. Uh, A portion of people are paying their tickets. Uh, Let me ask, like, uh, where does the money go for these tickets? Sure. No. So per the legislation, any of the revenue, any of the money we collect from citations first goes to pay for the program itself all of the operational, you know, administrative costs associated with it. And then any of the remaining money has to go to making improvements to ID3. And so, you know, we're looking at doing improvements like, you know, deck improvements and ultimately some bridge improvements and other things as far as ID3. So ID3, the ramps, those interchanges, that's where the money will be directed. Uh, Director Johnson, here's another question, this time from Maria T. She says, My understanding was the city planned to put up cameras in multiple locations, but that only two would operate on a rotating basis. What happened to that? Um, She says we need more than just tickets at 40th Street. (laughs) So initially, there were six locations identified and tested as possible locations for the two cameras. Per the legislation, um, we are allowed to have those two cameras out there. And so those two locations were selected based on data showing where 
we had the highest speeds and the highest incident of crashes. And because of the geometry of 83, they're not able to be moved around like you might see other cameras throughout the city. So they had to be post-mounted cameras. And so for now, those were in that fixed location. But, you know, as we look at the future program and see what other potential safety improvements are needed, we'll analyze that in the future. So one follow-up about that. What kinds of research is out there about speed camera psychology? Like if a driver is intent on speeding, once they know where the speed cameras are located, do they just slow down in that one spot and then speed up again once they get past it? You referenced this earlier, but I wanted to circle back on this quickly. So I can't speak to a great deal regarding the psychology, but I can say that overall, even once someone has passed those initial cameras on 83, we are seeing where people tend to continue slower speeds than they did in the past. And so just looking at the corridor, I would say that it is very effective even in those fixed locations to change behavior um, a longer stretch as, as opposed to just being a one point location. So we are seeing greater improvements, even though they aren't moving around. Okay, uh, Director Johnson, technical question here uh, for you from Charles S. He wants to know, when they check your speed, if there are cars in more than one lane, how do they sort them out? Uh, I think he wants to know, in other words, like, how do the cameras make sure that he's not the one who's getting the ticket when it's the guy in the lane next to him who's speeding? Mm-hmm. Nope, I understand that. Um, people have a lot of questions about that. So the thing with this system is that the fixed speed sentry safety camera system utilizes three-dimensional tracking radar technology to capture potential violators across multiple lanes of traffic. And so with the location and the design of those poles and the height of them with that single sensor, the system can accurately measure the distance, angle, and speed of up to 32 vehicles at any given moment. And so this enables precise vehicle tracking and accurate triggering of the event capture. So we're we're pretty confident (laughs) that we're getting the right driver who's out there speeding. The technology sounds amazing. Uh, It makes me wonder, like, where, if at all, are human beings actually involved in this ticketing process? Is this a completely automated system from photo to ticket? No, it's not completely automated. So there are uh, daily checks of all of the systems and the sentries that are out there. When a citation is issued with the initially or there's a violation identified, the vendor first does an evaluation and then comes through into the city. And then there are multiple other layers of review of actual people reviewing it and making sure that it's accurate. Um, The last thing we want to do is send out something that possibly was not accurate. And so hence why we have such a high issuance rate of of 97%. So we're going through and taking a lot of time and detail personally, individually, to ensure that the citations are, um, are accurate. And here's a question from Donna A. Could you support the speed cameras with police cars parked frequently during high-speed times on key shoulder locations? She says this would send a message like, we mean business. Yeah. So the challenge is that the infrastructure of Interstate 83 really restricts vehicles on the shoulder um, because of the limited width and the simple physical design of the highway. And so that's kind of what led us to look into this type of program. And so the speed cameras are very efficient because they reduce the need to endanger first responders who are on the highway for enforcement purposes. And overall, again, safety is our number one goal for JFX. And so this system is extremely effective and really the presence of police would create other safety concerns, not really help the system. 
Um, I, I want to follow up on that and ask, um, are speed cameras effectively supposed to replace traffic stops manned by human police officers? We've seen more and more speed cameras going up in other parts of the city. Is a goal here to free up the police to do other police work? So the reality is that with all of the locations for, let's say, traffic enforcement needs, there's simply not the, the resources to have police everywhere all at the same time to enforce everything. There are so many various safety concerns that the police personally have to be focused on. So this is where we can look to leverage technology and something that can um, be effective, get the job done and try to increase safety and reduce these type of hazards without having to have a person there. And so wherever we can throughout the city to look and see where there might be some opportunities to um, do some traffic calming and to increase safety, then we'll look to make those um, improvements and use technology where possible. Um, but this is definitely a you know collaborative effort. And in times where, and even with this review process, the police are involved in, again, just the review, the quality assurance, quality control process of these citations. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. More in a moment. So while we've got you on the line with us, Director Johnson, we do have a few non-speed camera related questions about the JFX from uh, various curious listeners and readers. Uh, Nick S. asks, uh, he wants to know, why do they close lanes on I-83 during the weekends? Seems like they randomly put up cones and make entrances and exits shorter. Uh, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, as you can imagine, during the regular work week, there are much higher traffic volumes on 83. And so we look towards those weekends for our maintenance crews to go out there and do other maintenance work. So it could be routine cleaning. It could be some type of lighting repairs. Sometimes it's uh, trimming of the vegetation, the foliage, or or there could also be some other um you know, potential maintenance needs of the, of the roadway um, surface itself. And so they're usually focused on doing that during those weekend periods. And we always list any of those impacts in our weekend traffic advisory. So I hope that your, your listeners are looking and will seek out um, Baltimore City DOT's traffic advisory so they can be aware of what's going on along 83 and all the other roadways throughout the city. Well, I certainly don't do that. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay, um, we have... A reader here who's asking what citizens can do to advocate for traffic law changes that would make a difference. So similar to ID3, some of the changes require state enabling legislation, while there might be others that can be made at the local city level. And so the best advice I would give would be to contact their state or local representatives, and they can advise on the best avenue for the laws that they are interested in seeing changed. And so that would be the, the best option to uh, make sure their voices and concerns are heard. All right, Director Johnson, we've got a banner reader here who wants to give you some props. John B. writes, may I suggest the banner also consider doing an update on the lighting of I-83? A good news story, which is always welcome. The lighting is really improved, finally, after years of neglect, and the repainted lane markers are much easier to see in the rain. I truly believe a major effort was made to successfully remedy this problem. The city should get some positive kudos for that. Mm -hmm. 
So do you want to say a bit about the time and money and effort that the city puts into maintaining and improving the JFX? I reckon you've got some more money coming in now for these efforts from the speed cameras. No. So I, first off, I wanted to say I appreciate the, the kudos there. Um, I always love hearing some positive feedback. So um, the one thing with the ID3 program is that the money coming in, it cannot replace money that we already said had in the, in the budget to do work. So this is supposed to be above and beyond whatever we're doing. And so we have been working on making some necessary lighting improvements as what was seen out there and doing other LED upgrades all throughout the city. And so the maintenance team has been diligently working throughout the city to work on things just like this and trying to make some very substantial visible changes. And so I'm glad that it's, is recognized. And you know, I, I'm glad to hear this and I would also be glad in the future to um, help with any updates and, and any other um, inquiries that um, the you all or listeners might have regarding the, the changes you're seeing throughout the city. Just one more follow-up about that. I wonder if the money that this system is bringing in, I mean, obviously you get to pay for the system, but once you, once it turns a profit, so to speak, can you then reinvest that money from the speed cameras into installing even more speed cameras on I-83? So no, the plan would be more to put it directly into the ID3 infrastructure. And the thing about it is the, the money generated through this program is considered like local dollars. And so because 83 is an interstate, we work with our federal partners. And so this is where that helps us to leverage um, funding for projects. And so we might be able to go after you know, 70, 80% federal dollars. And then we take our 83 money and do that 20% local match. And so we're able to strategize and kind of best use this money to make some impactful changes and improvements to the system itself. And, you know, again, with any additional cameras, we'll look at that down the road. But at least right now, I want to make some great improvements to the ID3 quarter. Director Johnson, you have been very generous with your time. Uh, we appreciate it. Before we let you go, let me just give you an opportunity to speak directly to drivers out there on the JFX right now. Maybe you've got folks listening to this podcast. Maybe they happen to have a lead foot. <laughs> what can you say to these drivers about the importance of, of slowing down and obeying the speed limit on this road? Definitely. The thing about ID3, again, it's just, it is an interstate and it has some very tricky curves, especially, and it's especially dangerous when the roads are wet or it's nighttime, you know, temperatures are dropping, things like that, like now this winter season. And so the roadway isn't designed to be like a, a race car, you know, driving on it, like the Grand Prix. It's, 80, it's 83. It's not the Grand Prix. That was part of our messaging when we did our um, community outreach campaign for this. And so we, we're seeing where people are slowing their role. And I'm asking people to continue um, with that action, continue to make changes, because this really is about people slowing down and saving lives. People, you know, it's not worth the five minutes you might save to hurry up and get into the city where you or someone else around you might be in a severe crash and possibly lose your life. So this is, this is serious information or serious situation, and it's just simply not worth it. So please slow down. Corinne Johnson is the interim director of the Baltimore City Department of Transportation. Director Johnson, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
So, Hallie Miller, uh, interesting conversation. I feel like we got some good answers, some good information. What do you you left thinking here? Uh, Outstanding questions, other things on your mind? A few. I think overall that was helpful. I think our readers will get a lot out of that. But there are two metrics that we didn't cover in that conversation that I think are important. The first is the average issued warning slash citation speed. So this is the speed on average that folks are getting ticketed for or or fined for. So over the four-month period that we were talking about, they did see that speed decrease, but only a little bit. So the first, the initial speed was 65.9. That dropped to 65.3. So not even a full percentage point of a decrease. Oh, so the good news is that fewer people are getting tickets, but the other news is that the people who are getting the tickets are going pretty much just as fast as they were going before. So the speeders are still... Mm -hmm. uh, They're still speeding. They're still speeding. They're going a half a mile. They're getting tickets for half a mile slower. That's right. So they they talked a little bit about on, you know, on average, people are slowing down. And I think it's more accurate to say that more people are slowing down, but the people who are still going fast are still going very fast. Um, And then the other metric that I think we should talk about is um, what Director Johnson said. She said 51% of the folks who are getting warnings and citations or, or ticketed, um, only 51% are actually paying. Yeah, that, that doesn't seems seem really like a low. real good return rate. <laughs> no, it seems really low to me. Um, and maybe that's why they're not telling us how much in uh, revenue they're generating from this program, because actually it's not a number that they're very proud of or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, 51% of Tens of thousands of $40 tickets is still some, you know, that's not chicken scratch. No, it's still something. Um, but I imagine they're, they're wishing it was higher. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll wait and see what kind of uh, dramatic uh, structural improvements happen on I-83 as a result of this. Right. And I'd also, I'm very interested to see that crash data. So I anticipate, you know, you and I maybe doing a follow-up when that comes out. And that's coming out this coming summer. That's right. Yeah. Hallie, let's uh, turn things back over to our listener who asked uh, the original question that sparked this episode and uh, see what they have to have to say here. Tim Noe, at the beginning of this episode, you said you were uh, white knuckling it down uh, I-83 on your uh, commutes. Does this uh, conversation with Director Johnson uh, make you feel better about the way things are going on I-83? It's my sense that things are better. I really am curious about that crash data, too. And it it does put me to mind that with the crash data, there are other kinds of impacts there. It's time lost in productivity. There are pollution impacts. Uh, So the individual choice of speeding and then accident then leads to all of these other knock-on effects. And God knows what it does to asthma in our city and pollution and so forth, too. So, Tim, you commute on I-83, you say, to take your daughter to school. Is she of driving age as well? She is uh, 16, and uh, actually she's 17 now, and um, teaching her how to drive and introducing her to the JFX has been one of the terrors of instruction. And as I told her and her brother Look at the Jersey barriers along the JFX. Every one of those skid marks is a wreck. And in some places, it looks like a Cy Twombly drawing. There's just so much there, especially around the Pepsi sign. So use caution, trust yourself, but don't trust others on this highway. 
Tim, this is a fascinating topic. Uh, as you heard, you're not the only one with questions about I-83. I'm sure we're going to continue to get them, so uh, I dare say uh, to be continued. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thanks so much for uh, inspiring us to, to look into this further. I'm happy to do so. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in partnership with the Baltimore Banner. Big thanks this episode to my colleague, Baltimore Banner reporter Hallie Miller. Hallie has written a great companion piece to this episode. You can find it along with all of her other excellent reporting at thebaltimorebanner.com. And uh, by the way, if you've got a question of your own for the show, it is easy to be in touch. Just go to wypr.org slash curiosity. That is the website for the podcast. It's got an archive of all of our past episodes and a little interactive box where you can type in a question and put me to work. Hit us up at wypr.org slash curiosity. And uh, if you like the show and uh, enjoy what you hear on this podcast, you can always do us a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a couple of lines, your words go a long way toward helping other curious listeners discover this podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.